the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 384. Now, this week I'm doing a little bit of time travelling because this was recorded slightly ahead of when you were listening uh, to it. And I will be in a somewhat distant location uh, enjoying the school holidays. Now, we have a special guest here today, Rowan McMahon. Welcome along, Rowan. Kia ora, Paul. Thanks for having me on today. Now, thank you for, uh, for coming in. Maybe you can share with listeners where you fit into this sort of world of, of tech and business here in New Zealand. Well, I'll give it a go. Uh, I've been in New Zealand for a bit over eight years now. I'm Australian, as you may be able to tell from my accent. I'm a Sydney boy, but uh, happily based in Auckland for the last eight years. Uh, I've spent about the last six of that period of time, um, three quarters of that time, working at Crown Fibre Holdings, as it then was, the now Crown Infrastructure Partners. So that was um, helping with the government's um, optic fibre broadband rollout, so-called UFB rollout. So I spent a lot of time thinking about broadband strategy and the uh, broadband ecosystem in that period of time. Last year and a half or so, I've been uh, an independent management consultant, and I'm basically uh, providing help to some businesses and some uh, local government and iwi and, and the like around um, what they can do to use digital technology more effectively, as well as some other ancillary kind of commercial advice. Great. And, mm-hmm. and that's why, why I thought this would be a good chat today, because I want to um, you know dive into some discussion around... Uh, you know the place of technology. How dis- technology is sort of you know changing the world. We're talking uh, disruption, innovation. There's all sorts of sort of you know buzzwords, digital transformation, so on. But these things have a have a real impact. Uh, and where they're where they're not um, you know done effectively or in the right time, you know we see you know consequences in one direction or another. Uh, so I'm you know really interested in, uh, in in diving in and 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 chatting through some of those things. And uh, you know, I'm I'm sure from uh, from your work, you'll have some uh, some insights that are uh, going to help with that. So, um, uh, first up, looking at uh, looking at disruption, um, you know, this is an area you know, I think people sort of look out into the future, and you know, one thing I like to encourage people to do when I'm talking and, and you know at an event or um, you know chatting in, in person with um, with business leaders is to be I like to encourage people to be futurists, that we should be putting on that futurist mm-hmm. hat and looking you know, further out rather mm-hmm. than just looking at what's the immediate problem that I have today to deal with, but that we, we step back, we take that bigger picture view um, you know, so that we can get the best outcomes of these things. And look, there's been a, a lot of uh, talk around artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and you know, how we could be uh, ruled by AIs in, in the future. Uh, where uh, jobs might be displaced by, uh, you know, technological disruption by artificial in- intelligence. In what you see, I guess you would you would be look at look, looking at this. I'm you know I'm presuming from other discussions that we have, sort of you know from a lot of different perspectives. So you know, government, you've obviously had uh, you know involvement in uh, you know, government entities, and you're part of uh, what's the working group that you're uh, you're part of uh, now? Or you joined yeah. recently. Uh, so there's a new uh, ministerial advisory group being set up to advise uh, Minister Claire Curran on the digital economy and uh, digital inclusion. 
uh, it's only a fairly new thing, but it's a very exciting initiative, actually, and a great example, I think, of government looking to take a bit of a co-design approach where they are looking to have, uh, you know, some policy advice that can be tested against what officials might be telling them and, uh, you know, really get a good consultative um, process that's going to get a great result. Great. Well, I'm interested in sort of, yeah, hearing your personal views. I know you probably can't uh, speak on behalf of the government or, or anyone else. So you've got those government perspectives. Um, you know, I know, you know, we've, we've talked to, uh, before, uh, around some of the sort of inequality issues that we have, uh, mm-hmm. that we have in, uh, in New Zealand, as I, you know, I guess is the case in, case in most parts of the world. Um, so looking at it from that perspective, from the perspective of, of, uh, you know, businesses, there's, you know, unions take a sp- perspective. Uh, in terms of representing their people. So there's lots of sort of different uh, viewpoints in on um, disruption. What are the areas that you you know you think about in, in regards to disruption? What are the things that sort of stand out for you from the, those different perspectives? Yeah, well, I think um, the first one would be to look at where businesses are up to, because you know it is businesses that provide jobs and it's jobs that keep us uh, keep us all employed and, um, and put put food on the table. Um, and, you know, one of my favourite quotes, which I'm, I'm sure you've heard many times, is William Gibson said, the future is already here, it's just unevenly distributed. And that's true in, you know, virtually every aspect of the economy and society. And so what that means is that, uh, you know, when you look at business capability to use technology effectively, like a lot of things in life, there's a bell curve from innovators to the kind of middle of the market, which was the biggest sort of part of the bell curve, and then to laggards. And the big... Um, you know, opportunity, but also the big threat from disruption is really to that middle of the curve, where there are people who, uh, you know, could be doing a lot more with technology, perhaps can be taking it up as an opportunity rather than seeing it as a threat. Um, and they're the ones that we need to work with and reach out to. Uh, you know, New Zealand business has got some great innovators, um, but uh, there's not enough of them, and they are, you know, by their nature, unevenly distributed. So that's a really uh, big challenge. Um, and, you know, the advisory group, while, as you know, as you pointed out, it's just my personal view, so it's not um, trying to represent the advisory group or the government, but, um, you know, I do think New Zealand has got a big productivity opportunity, but also a big um, productivity and uh, employment threat from the big uh, disruptors, the big over-the-top operators that are coming to New Zealand all the time, and it's up to us to sort of help businesses uh, grapple with that challenge. Yeah, I, I agree, and, you know, especially, you know, you talk about that sort of middle of the bell curve, and, you know, in New Zealand, we've got so much that is sort of the small to medium uh, business, That's and, right. and yeah, you know, I enjoy working with those those types of firms and what we do at Gorilla, and trying to uh, you know, help them to utilise the, the uh, you know technologies that are available better. But it's a real uh, it's a real challenge, especially when we have so so many smaller businesses. In terms of well, yeah, you know, often uh, you know, business owners when you're dealing with a smaller entity are really really. Um, stretched, so it can be hard to get that time to sort of get out of the business, to step back, mm-hmm. take those that that sort of bigger picture view, um, you know, sharpen the axe type of uh, you know type of stuff. Yeah, that's um, right. And small businesses are you know typically time poor, and uh, you know they're typically uh, they can be folk who've been in business for a while, so they may think that their current model of working has worked so far. And they may therefore make the mistake of thinking that that will mean it keeps working indefinitely into the future, and that is a mistake. And then if you look at bigger businesses, a lot of big businesses are quite driven by short-term reporting KPIs, uh, which can you know, make the numbers look great in the immediate term but can mean that they're not quite ready for the thing that's coming at them over the horizon. Yeah, that, and that, uh, that aspect is certainly something that we, we 
talk about on the New Zealand Tech podcast from from time to time the the challenge of the way um, in which you know particularly you know, CEOs and senior leadership and and so on are, are rewarded based on uh, very short term metrics that may be encouraging them to actually lead an organisation sometimes in in quite the wrong direction because mm-hmm. uh, those those big strategic players can have. Uh, yeah, a, a negative short-term impact, but they can lead to ensuring an organisation, a company, is is still around long-term, right? Yeah, and I mean, I, because of my background with the broadband rollout, maybe I see too many things through the lens of what fibre can bring to uh, to New Zealand. But uh, it is an amazing future-proof transformational technology, which will be with us for many decades to come. It's going to position us at an infrastructure level to be in the top few in the world. But all of that means very little unless we actually pick it up and use it. So the question really for businesses these days is less and less about what infrastructure you have available to you, certainly at a pipes level, um, uh, sort of uh, maybe more so at a hardware level, um, but much more so at the question, the question is, am I using technology effectively? Um, what goal am I trying to use technology for rather than just you know running my business? Am I trying to use it strategically to be more mobile or to um, to compete more online, to grow revenue or to improve my productivity? And you know do you, all the basic sort of uh, MBA questions around your SWOT, your um, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You need to use digital technology as part of your arsenal of things that can help you improve the um, make your strengths stronger and address your weaknesses. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know part of what I do do uh, with our clients is we do those you know SWOT analysis sort of sessions as as part of our strategic planning, and look you know sometimes people say well why are you as a technologist wanting to uh, lead a strategy session for for mm-hmm. our organisation? Yeah. Um, and you know, I guess you know part of it comes down to the fact that that the threads of technology run through really you know. All areas of business, yeah, and I, so you know when you when you step back and take that view, if you're doing it without, uh, I guess you know a- access to um, the right sort of you know expertise and understanding of on what technology brings to the table, then you're going to end up with uh, with with something that's you know got some pretty major shortcomings, right? I get very similar questions from some some uh, folk that I talk to, and it is really really important that digital and innovation and uh, technology, any of these terms, mm-hmm. are not parcelled off to the side as being an adjunct, um, and also are not seen as just you know something that's running the pipes of the business. They are both of those things, but uh, they need to be intrinsic to your business strategy. Um, they are becoming more and more important to where businesses are going, and if you're not looking at at it in that way, someone else probably is. Um, and so it's really important that, you know, whether your goal is revenue growth, you know, using using technology to find new customers or to get more money out of existing customers or to um, to increase your price points, or whether you're looking at it at a cost perspective where you're trying to take cost out by operating more productively, uh, reducing um, process time, uh, cycle times, improving your staff's working uh, work-life balance, those sorts of things. Um, those are absolutely intrinsic to where business is going. And so technology can't just sort of be an adjunct anymore. And I think that's a really big challenge. Uh, you know, there's a lot of our business people have sort of um, grown up with a model where they, they, they ask technologists to help them with things. 
the help is provided and then we tick it off and we say, well, that's done now. Um, but to actually look, look at it um, from a, a digital technology lens where you say, what actually could I use this for? So it's not just more, it's not just a, how can I do the thing I've already decided to do? The better question is, what should I be doing? You know, could digital technology help me with some of those things? Mm-hmm. And the, and the you know, perspectives that come from uh, those that are involved in, yeah, I guess what is often the leading edge of business, startups, and and you know those that are, um, yeah, really close to innovation, compared to, yeah, you know, some people who are still sort of sitting back and and you know running the business in a very you know traditional way, mm-hmm. and we see variations on that in New Zealand. But um, I'm trying to think. There was one I came across very recently where everything was still sort of paper based, accounting, sort of you know the the whole lot. And uh, you know you can you can imagine someone that's operating that way is either super smart and has and has worked out that they can do things amazingly without technology, mm-hmm. um, or is um, you know maybe sort of quite disconnected from what the potential is of technology. Yeah, and I think um, you've got to look at it from a sectoral perspective as well. I mean, some mm-hmm. of our most uh, the, the sectors that have the biggest opportunities or the biggest challenges are exactly the ones that we could talk about. Um, so tourism is a great example. You know, we have a lot of jobs in tourism. We have record numbers of tourists coming to visit New Zealand. And even in the domestic market, there's a lot of tourists going around this beautiful country. Um, but tourism is a fairly low productivity sector. And a lot of those jobs are low value jobs. So, you know, it's interesting to sort of work out, well, what are the opportunities to, as I say, either to improve the productivity or to increase the revenue line or both. Um, and, of course, you can use technology also to decentralise. Some of our biggest, we were just talking before about Tongariro, for example, you know, that's an example of a site that is popular because it's so wonderful, um, but we are putting a lot of eggs in a few specific tourism baskets like Tongariro, Queenstown's another one, Rotorua, um, and we, you know, there's, there are other places in New Zealand that are, you know, uh, almost as beautiful or just as beautiful and lovely to visit but uh, don't have the benefit of that tourism economy. If we could use technology to help show off some of those places and attract more um, more tourists, uh, more Airbnb, more TripAdvisor, uh, those sorts of things, we would start to spread that load a little bit more evenly, and that would be really good from an economic perspective. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good point, and you certainly uh, you know look around the country, and there are there are some parts which yeah justifiably so uh, have a huge economy based you know based off um, tourism, but. Yeah, there are other areas that are uh, that are very poor, and you wonder, hmm, you know, and you know, in comparison, you wonder, uh, well, how how could we uh, util- utilize uh, technology and and innovative thinking to uh, to maybe give them a you know a, a boost? Mm. And um, yeah, the the tourism sector could be uh, yeah could be a really good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the basic website, the. Um you know, the ability to reach out to people um, so that they are going to find you. We know when they're looking for New Zealand sites, they're going to find their way to Waitomo Coves and Hobbiton and so on without mm. too much help. But, mm. you know, are they going to find their way to East Cape or, you know, the far reaches of Northland and so mm. on? And some of these regions are where there is economic deprivation. There is um, a workforce available that can work in tourism and, uh, you know, could really benefit from that, um, that extra uh, business. Yeah, and it, I mean it's fair to say that there are there are some areas of the the tourism sector that really uh, yeah struggle to utilise technology, and I think often it comes down to an education thing. Uh, sometimes you know it's probably what you, you mentioned earlier in terms of well 
you know, they've got a particular knowledge of how they've already done, you know, how they've always done something and don't realise the new opportunities that technology uh, provides. One I talked about, uh, I think on the show last year after coming back from uh, the Cook Islands was yeah just just googling for resorts and you know accommodation and so on and and realizing that there were yeah maybe you know one or two resorts that had done a really good job mm. of making sure that they were they were going to get found and they were in the right place but mm-hmm. when you when you looked at it through the lens of well if you stood back and worked out uh, and you can get this I guess through a platform like TripAdvisor where it gives you a bit of a ranking on the you know the popularity and you know, quality of resorts and so on. But the mm. results that you'll see on TripAdvisor versus what you'll find on Google are very, very different. Mm-hmm. So you you know, you would expect the best the best properties, for instance, almost you know, if you do a search for uh, you know resorts and and uh, Rarotonga, for instance, that Google should give you something that's reasonably in view. But of course it's not and that comes down to how well the properties take advantage of technology. Mm-hmm. And so someone that's really good might be five places down or they might not even be on the front page at all if they haven't taken advantage of technology in the in the right ways. Yeah, I guess I've thought um, more about, you know, the oft, oft-reported statistic that only half of New Zealand's businesses have a website. So I'm quite confident that a lot of those businesses that aren't connected um, or aren't on the web are, uh, are tourist businesses. And they're literally, you know, the phone's not ringing, the emails aren't coming in, and they don't know why. They just think it's a quiet month. But in fact, the market is booming. You do have to reach out to people and make yourself known. You know, it's a front door for your business. Mm. Uh, it's not the only thing that's important to your business, but it is a front door for your business. And if you have capacity available, um, another aspect for tourism is time of year. You know, there's a there's a boom in the summer months. School holidays are busy, but um, what can you do with shoulder seasons? What can you do with pricing? Um, what can you do with, uh, you know, um, some uh, partners? So it's been interesting, for example, that Air New Zealand is supporting both the uh, Hawke's Bay Marathon and the Queenstown Marathon. Both of those are at shoulder season times of the year. Mm. So the objective is to bring in more, um, it's to basically to bring extra capacity into those regions at a time when supply of tourism spots is available and just stretch out that, um, uh, that season and increase, increase utilisation. So mm. clever thinking. And, you know, technology can help us with that as well in terms of the data so we can look at those data trends and then, you know, make make calls on what, what things to do. Are there, are there any areas that um, you're concerned about for New Zealand from a disruption perspective that have sort of got you thinking and, and worrying around, well, how do, how do we, you know, make sure we're not negatively impacted by, you know, certain types of disruption? Yeah, well, I suppose inclusion's a really big topic. Um, and, you know, whether it's, um, whether you consider it a, dis- a disruptor or simply a, a form of, um, of, um, human right, mm. uh, we are seeing all the time new services come in from, some from New Zealand, but often from overseas providers that are offering us things that in the city we quickly take up and take for granted. If we don't have a model where those services are reaching out to the provinces, reaching out to lower socioeconomic groups, um, then quickly we do end up with um, a real digital divide. And that would be um, that would be hugely concerning. Um, you know, you can see that there's a reasonably linear correlation between household income and internet access, typically. So uh, the risk is that um, uh, families and households with lower income are less likely to have the tools available to them to be in the future, to move into the future. And, um, you know, that's, that's inequitable, um, but also it's not smart when we, when we want to have um, 
you know, jobs for the future. Uh, we want to have people earning high incomes. We want to people, you know, the so-called weight loss exports. I'm sure you've heard that term many times before. Um, we want to have those sorts of jobs available to our kids, right? Mm. But if we are in a situation where, you know, the, those sorts of jobs are conceivable and we're training our kids for them at a rate of, you know, 95% in the city, but only 60% in a, in a rural, a poorer town, um, you know, that means a, a huge level of people being left out, which is terrible for them, but also terrible for us because we're, we're going to leave them behind and uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll have to uh, pay, pay for the consequences. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a challenging one, isn't it? Although you know, I guess you could say that um, yeah, the internet in itself is sort of a, you know, a great leveler for access to information, mm. for access to learning. And if you know, I look back on my childhood, and uh, you know, I know some homes they've always had the you know the flashiest, latest uh, encyclopedias, mm-hmm. um, and we had a hand-me-down set of encyclopedias from mm. you know I don't know how many years prior it was to uh, to when I was growing up. There maybe you know fifteen, twenty years old, maybe more. I'm I'm not sure. Um, and that, but they were you know they were a fascinating you know resource, and of course. You know, I would, I would, you know, flick through these things and and read and and uh, you know absorb out of date information. You know, <laughs> and and of course, uh, you know, where we are now, everybody has access to you know much much more than mm. you know than anything I had access to. Mm. Uh, and you know, there were the libraries, and you know, I was certainly interested in a lot of you know technological things. I was interested in uh, um, you know with my sort of latter years at, at school, and you know, I didn't stay at school too long, um, but I I was very interested in the sort of the intersection between technology and and media and, and publishing. And so I would go and get these books out of the library, which, you know, of course, were out of date the moment that they were sort of published because yeah. it was a field that was moving very quickly. Um, but, you know, so there was quite, a, a you know, an effort to go and learn that, uh, that's, that sort of, you know, those, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, you know, the, the flip side of, you know, of those challenges is that, you know, in general, I think we've got access to much more information and there's so much that can be learned online, uh, you know, often for free, whether it's through a, you know, a platform like YouTube or, mm. you know, reading and, and Wikipedia and so on. But there, I guess when we, when we look at that, there's also, and we, you know, there's all sorts of angles and perspectives you can view this from. Mm-hmm. There's the challenges that, we, uh, that we're seeing in terms of media as well. And um, you know, you've got the the power that are in the hands of, for instance, sort of Donald Trump to you know communicate with people directly, bypassing uh, you know traditional media uh, channels. You've got um, yeah, just I, I guess a whole new way that people are consuming information, and mm-hmm. that becomes very hard to actually um, manage. And you know, I think we're you know, we're starting to deal with some of the challenges with that now in terms of the, the Cambridge Analytica and, and Facebook scandals, right? Yeah, it's been fascinating to see uh, just who's um, logging off from Facebook at the moment, John Edwards and the Privacy Commissioner, and uh, yesterday Steve Wozniak I saw as well. So mm, mm. there's probably a lot of questions. We could have a much longer conversation <laughs> about uh, the whole privacy environment. Yeah. But, um, you know, speaking personally, I'm not a, not a massive Facebook user and I never have been. I've, I've done some little bit of work with them a couple of years ago so i've no problem with the organization but just in terms of the amount of sharing that's going on Mm. i think the aspect that concerns me most is that the fact that the um 
the information that was accessed was done through your friends. So you didn't necessarily, it wasn't your own permissions that were set wrongly. It was actually your friend's permissions. And so obviously you can control what items you select and deselect in Facebook, but you, mm. you don't know what, what your friends have. So Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's fortunate in that case that that, that, that particular loophole that was, was used you know, was shut down a number of years ago. So that yeah, particular mm. channel is not so relevant anymore. Um but there are there are still still concerns, and you know I I guess I'm I'm left thinking well, Mark Zuckerberg probably probably doesn't want his uh, doesn't want Facebook to go the way of MySpace, uh, so he will be working. It's probably a safe bet. <laughs> he'll be working. Um, you know, probably you know, look at Samsung for instance, and they had you know. Huge credibility uh, issue around their uh, what was it the Note the, uh, uh, Galaxy no, Seven the, yeah Galaxy mm. Note Seven mm. um, you know with and it was a, a, a small percentage but you know boy not uh, not a good situation when people's are, you know cars are getting on fire and and things like that right so um, but they address that by sort of going to the other end of the safety scale from mm. you know from everything that we can see mm-hmm. and made sure that there's there's are the you know the safest uh, smartphones in the industry from a testing perspective I think that's sort of certainly what they've aimed for yeah. so it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether Facebook can can you know make a, a flip to from from being the the organization that uh, you know people trust uh, the least which is sort of where you know where they've sort of you know landed up mm. uh, to where they you know restore that confidence by being incredibly transparent and really uh, you know changing a lot a lot of what they do. And, and also how they'll manage that transparency, given they're still, you know, fundamentally a data-driven business. Their, their business is to sell your data. Let's be clear about it. So that's that's where they make their money. So they they may be more transparent about that. I, I guess if there's a good um, something good that's come out of the situation, it's that more consumers are thinking about the issue. And mm. you know, there are a lot of people. There's another bell curve there for you. Of, and there would be a lot of people who have never really thought about their privacy settings on on Facebook. Mm. And a lot of those mm. people are checking those. You know, as we speak, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So there's certainly some good things that come out of this. Now, um, innovation in in New Zealand, we seem to have um, you know, a fair number of companies doing really cool, innovative things. Uh, one of the ones I work with, uh, Performance Lab, they've um, you know they've taken their expertise in uh, performance coaching with sort of you know, the top sports people America's Cup and All Blacks and varying you know others over the, over the years um, and they've taken that to uh, you know, artificial intelligence and putting it into uh, uh, wearables or you know partnering with with um, you know brands that can utilize that technology um, verify is one that's uh, that's just done a crowd um, Funding round uh, recently. I'm not sure if you saw uh, any any of that. Um, that that looks uh, you know pretty interesting in terms of um, re- reducing the the number of uh, you know situations that we see in uh, in hospitals where incorrect doses are, are given to people and and end up uh, causing um, harm. So that that one uh, looks interesting. Uh, we had power by proxy. Um, Absolutely. How long ago? Oh, it must be nearly a year ago now that uh, they were they, they were acquired by uh, uh, by Apple, which is you know has caused actually a really big ripple effect into the whole 
um, the whole tech sector mm. and this move to wireless charging, which of course you know Samsung have been doing for a number of years, others for a lot longer. But after um, or you know in that sort of similar timing with Apple uh, buying Power by Proxy and and moving uh, you know, their their key devices to uh, to wireless charging, that sort of you know flipped over to be a pretty uh, normal thing now and much more common to um, you know to to see people using wireless chargers. Um, mm. Push Pay is a, you know, an, another one that's, uh, you know, I guess, done something from a user experience per- perspective, which, uh, you know, when it first came out, I looked at it and thought, well, you know, why do why do churches need a need a third party to uh, uh, to handle payments and, mm. and clip the ticket? Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, the company's now worth uh, I think well north of a billion dollars. So I think they've got they've, they've got picked, some things uh, pretty right there. They've picked a very good niche and they appear to be nailing it. So yeah, good luck to them. Yeah, oh, it's a it's a it's a yeah many multi billion dollar uh, you know sector that they're, they're doing incredibly well in. Um, Circo, another one with. Um, you know their software uh, there in the corporate uh, travel space, and yeah, probably dozens of others. Are there any other particular ones that you've noticed recently that sort of caught your eye that you wanted to throw in there? Well, um, on Monday earlier this week, I attended um, the uh, a mini conference here in Auckland for World Internet of Things Day. Yes, and that was very, very good. That was organised by the New Zealand IoT Alliance and the Meetup Group for IoT enthusiasts here in Auckland. Yeah, and. Um, Great little four-hour conference, and there were two uh, kind of deep dives, one into agriculture and one into transport. Um, I think the agri stuff was probably where I, th- where I think it's most exciting, and that's because it's a nexus of um, between innovators and startups who are doing some really great stuff, uh, particularly mm. with LoRaWAN, but also with Sigfox and other technologies. Yes. Um, and then on the more on the customer side, obviously we have a big agri sector. We're strong in dairy. We've got a quite strong presence in arable farming and in horticulture. All of those industries are facing, um, you know, some sort of competitive threats, growth challenges, productivity challenges, all the things that um, that big sectors have to grapple with. Mm. And IoT is a fabulous way in which um, some of those problems can be addressed. So one of the companies that uh, presented on Monday was called Halter. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. I'm not sure that I am. Yeah, okay, so that's um, just like it sounds, H-A-L-T-E-R, and yeah. uh, that's a pretty cool uh, service that's basically helping to um, get the cow uh, closer to where it's meant to be at the right time. Ah, right. So we do a lot of things with electric fences uh, yes. these days, but yeah. electric fences are where you put them, yeah. and then you have to go yeah. move them. Yep. Um, you can actually use the, this service to move a, a cow gently and humanely to where it's supposed to go. So get it to the milking shed in time for milking. Right, if there's right. one that's lame, yeah. it can go um, you know, up to the to the right gates where the mm. vet's going to turn up and, mm. and so on mm. and so on. Um, so when you think of the amount of time that a farmer, and a lot of dairy farms are not huge, so there's, you know, they, they are run by small mm. teams of, mm. of individuals, mm. they're not necessarily that, that tech-friendly. If they could, uh, you know, save the farmer an hour before he or she has to get up in the morning for milking, that's one yeah. one hour of sleep in that I'm sure they'd be grateful to have. Oh, absolutely, and, um, they can you know, pretty early. That, that's right, and of course that productivity improvement from um, from the dairy sector could be quite exciting. And there's another number of other sort of IoT implementations for smart agriculture, whether it's um, monitoring soil moisture, monitoring weather conditions. Um, so another one of the uh, weather uh, operators that was presenting on Monday is called Metris, and they, you know, they have a long history in meteorology of using machine-to-machine technology, yes, which nowadays yeah. we, we just call it IoT. It's sort of like mm. a new label on something that's been around for a long time. Mm. Mm. But with LoRaWAN um, and other other technologies that are out there for IoT, you can get very long um, 
range distribution of devices, sensors at very low power. They last a long time and they're already quite cheap and they're getting a lot cheaper. So if you're looking at a um, sort of an agri-environment like it could be a vineyard or it could be a kiwi fruit farm or something like that in the horticulture sector, you can see how conditions like frost, you know, if you, you get a frosty night, we've had terrible weather the last couple of days, we've seen that there's been snow over in um, uh, some parts of New Zealand and, you know, unseasonally cold, all of a sudden those conditions can take out a whole crop um, overnight. And if you're not planning for them, then of course, you know, you could lose your livelihood or your year's income. A simple IoT deployment could tell you, oh, actually frost conditions have arrived a month earlier than expected. Maybe you have uh, a lot of the uh, vineyards and so on use fans to sort of aerate the, the crop to make sure that the frost won't uh, settle as ice on the on the grapes as they're growing. Um, very, you know, that's reasonably rudimentary technology, but powered by IoT, you could be um, in a real world environment where you're monitoring your crop even through the night without you having to do anything, and the uh, the fans or the rotors or whatever it is will turn on and monitor your and manage your crop for you. So that's powerful stuff. Yeah, it is, and you know what we see in technology is you know innovations that are you know, often happening over quite a number of years that um, we don't always sort of figure out what all the opportunities are to, to how we're going to use them. And these, uh, you know, Internet of Things, IoT uh, networks that allow that, uh, you know, communication, as you say, across sort of big distances, low low power, uh, yeah, really enable all sorts of new things. And um, it's actually pretty interesting to watch what people are coming up with and um, yeah, I think you have to be inside a particular area to to be able to innovate in a lot of cases because you're going to see what the real world problems are of those uh, uh, those businesses so that um, you know that to me sort of highlights that you know the importance of having um, um, you know the technology type expertise and discussions you know across really all of the sectors that we uh, that we work because if you've got that disconnect mm-hmm. uh, between your you know your tech savvy folks and uh, um, others within a, uh, an organisation, then uh, you know you may just you know miss some great uh, great opportunities. Whether it's the opportunity to invent those things, mm-hmm. uh, which is great if New Zealand can be the place where um, loads of that innovation comes from, and I, you know I think a lot of Kiwis are. are um, you know, really innovative thinkers, um, and then also for those inside, um, you know, whether it's a, an agricultural environment or any um, business environment, where they need to be, you know, keeping up to the play with what those things are that can actually um, help them be more successful. Mm. And yeah, as you say, I, you know, I think that that one of um, you know being able to uh, address the the issues of, of frost and what that has on on crops and so on. Um, is you know, probably a, a no-brainer to start uh, uh, utilising these technologies to uh, to help in, in those regards. Yeah. Some of the best innovations that I've seen do come out of individual businesses that might not be tech businesses at all. They might mm. be, in this case, farming businesses yeah. that, that um, see a problem and then think about how to address it. But I think one challenge I, as an Australian I observe over here is people say, you know, here in New Zealand we have the number eight wire mentality which is great because we come up with ingenious solutions to problems and therefore we, we address those problems and, you know, good on us. The problem with that is there's a thing called Google these days um, and I think you're familiar with it. And what we're sometimes missing is that those problems could have already been solved multiple times by multiple parties in other parts of the world. And if we could pick up those technologies or at least learn from them, we may not need to invent our own stuff. So sometimes... Mm-hmm. 
um, these these innovations are actually already elsewhere and we can pick them up quite quickly. I do think the other um, there are opportunities for New Zealand where um, and New Zealand businesses where those um, those opportunities haven't been grappled with elsewhere where we do face unique problems or perhaps we're a little ahead of the curve and that's where things get really interesting. So one example of that that I'm a little bit involved with at the moment is uh, the ambition for New Zealand to be predator-free by 2050. And what that means is getting rid of possums and stoats and rats um, and the like. And that is a huge challenge. Now, why is New Zealand ahead of the curve on trying to take this approach? Because lots of countries have got feral cats and foxes and feral this and feral that. That's just the nature of the world these days. But New Zealand is uniquely exposed because of our biosecurity situation. We are at the edge of the world. Our species, our native species, have been uniquely underexposed to these predators um, until humans turned up. And therefore, they're uniquely uh, vulnerable um, to the uh, the decimation of our forests that um, these invas- invaders are doing all the time. Mm. So, what that's leading to, from an innovation perspective, is some some new ideas around how you might be able to manage and hopefully eradicate some of these predators. So, if you're in the conservation space or you're a you know someone who's who's keen on that neighbourhood, people are working with IoT in in that neighbourhood. People are working with a number of new ideas, including in the science field, um, to try and find new and better ways that we could achieve that very ambitious goal mm, yeah I, th- I think um yeah technology will be a real key part of actually bring you know bringing the outcomes that we're we're looking for as as a country there and yeah there's i mean would be so many uh perspectives where technology can you know, come into play and uh yeah, we were talking the other day um with omeo uh around their um yeah, driverless uh vehicles and one of the things that uh, Dave had said he was quite excited about, we were looking at the uh, the new handset from uh, Huawei and we had a few others there as well. Um, but, he, yeah, he's very excited around where, where imaging's going and then the artificial intelligence piece on that. And, um, yeah, the, I guess that opportunity to sort of, you know, have eyes uh, actually seeing what's, uh, what's happening out there in some of these locations mm-hmm. and, and having that, that technology piece will be part of that picture. But there will be, you know, I'm sure many, many ways in which uh, technology will come into, yeah. uh, come into, into play. I'm sure you're uh, familiar with the um, work that Spark and Vodafone and uh, others have been doing on the potential for 5G. Here in New Zealand, and yes. I mean, that's that's a really exciting technology development that's probably going to start rolling out in 2020. And you know, you are looking there at a, an ultra low latency environment over the mobile network um, as well as over the fibre network, and that will power um, the likes of uh, the driverless car networks and the smart city networks that we um, are going to see. Mm. But again, only if we plan for them effectively and take those technologies up, rather than assuming that it's. Spark and Vodafone's job, or it's Amazon's job, or it's you know Google's job. Actually, it is up to businesses and governments to sort of work together to say, well, how would we plan an environment where this technology would succeed? Is this something that we think would be helpful in our communities, or not? You know, there are choices to be made. Yeah, and then um, there's the aspect of you know when we have great ideas, and I think you know as you, you talked about the sort of number eight you know wire approach and so on, like you know look we we find and and make solutions. Is then what do we do with that? So you know, if someone comes up with a great new solution, do they just use it within their own environment? Mm. Do they take it and and share it with a few other businesses around New Zealand, maybe Australia? Um, you know, or really truly you know work out how to leverage that well and, and take it to the global market that does seem to be 
an area that we've had uh, varying success at. I think you know we've got some good examples of uh, you know, New Zealand uh, businesses that have gone out uh, globally, and you know we see we see varying sort of you know results with uh, with, with how that uh, um, you know, how that happens. Uh, Icebreaker, uh, you know, recently sort of sold. Um, You've got uh, you know zero that have been incredibly successful um, you know in a num- number of markets, um, and you know lot, lot, lots and lots and lots of others. Um, but getting all of those pieces right to be able to take that innovation and then commercialise it and market it and sell it mm. uh, globally—that's uh, that's a challenge. Yeah, and I mean, I come back to the productivity piece. You know, New Zealand um, has a kind of a varying story you know, across different sectors on productivity, but on the whole, it's not really that rosy uh, a, a picture. We're um, significantly below Australia on productivity, for example. So whether you're using fibre or you're using 4G and 5G, whether it would, regardless of the applications you're in, um, you know, there are opportunities for you to, to do things more effectively. And, you know, I think a productivity um, viewpoint on, on, you know, any business is just imperative. Oh yeah, I, I I agree, and look, yeah, we you know we've been able we're enabled by um, you know that infrastructure of, of fiber and 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 better broadband than you know or dramatically better than what you know what we had just a few years ago. Most businesses can get a you know gigabit internet connection, uh, whereas it wasn't you know that long ago they might have been you know dealing with a hundredth of of that. Mm. Uh, a lot of businesses don't realize because they just get what's given to them by by you know the a telco. Salesperson who, of course, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do you put it politely? Their, uh, you know, their, their their motivation isn't the productivity of the client yeah. in most cases. It's uh, it's down it's down to uh, you know what they're getting rewarded on by the particular you know telco that they work. But for. also, it's not the telco's job to run your business. It's your your business to run your business. And it's, so you, you exactly. know, if you uh, you know help them out by telling them, you know, I'd like to. You know, see my staff working from home more often, so you need a VPN environment where you're going to have high speed at the uh, employee's home as well. And uh, by the way, you'll need safe working environment for your employees at home. You'll need to think about devices and cloud and so on um, for that sort of uh, remote distribution, or it might be going more mobile. Uh, there's a whole range of different ways. But, mm. you know, the telcos will respond to the need that the customer expresses to them. But if the customer just says, well, I'd like faster pipes, well, that's what they'll get. Mm. Um, and so it really does come back to that original question of it's, it's not sort of the technology, it's how you're using it. Um, and, you know, it's, um, it's kind of up to all of us to work that out. And I think the telcos have done about as much as they can to sort of point out these, you know, the, the uh, features of these new technologies that are now available to us. But it's up to the rest of us to sort of pick them up and say, well, ah, I can see how I can join the dots here and use those disparate parts, stitch them together, whether it's cloud or it's mobile or it's, you know, um, uh, fibre and stitch those together to make a different-looking business that's mm. a much more effective business. Yeah, and, you know, of course, the, the connectivity is, is only, you know, one of the enabling uh, right. pieces. And, you know, we have this huge uh, benefit now in terms of what's available in, in the cloud, and especially because we do have so many small or medium uh, organisations. Uh, and, look... Yeah, every every business benefits, but um, you know the smaller smaller organisations. You know, there's a certain sort of scale under under which you know businesses never had sort of their own servers and so on. So they were very limited in terms of uh, what sort of technology that they might be able to implement and roll out. 
whereas all that's gone now with access to you know cloud based tools for for just about anything you add in your uh, internet of, of of things type capabilities and 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 other bits and pieces uh, coming al- along um, and you know, most businesses should be able to find that the technology you know to to work their best they need to keep changing and keep looking at at what are the pieces that are going to uh, help them succeed mm. And that is more than likely, you know, very different from what they were using just a few years ago because that innovation is just so constant and continual, right? Yeah, and you need to integrate it into your strategic planning so that it's not something that sits off as an adjunct to your business. And, um, you know, I like this word exponential. You know, we're, we're basically a species that's been built on linear thinking and linear improvements to what we're doing, but some of the stuff that's happening around us now is not happening in a linear fashion so what that means is we're going to have to change the way we think and what that means to me is go back to the well more frequently you know have a closer eye on what's happening in um not just in the tech sector but in terms of your competition what's happening in terms of your customers where are they going because are they changing more quickly than than you think Mm -hmm. well you know that's uh that's one of the things you know we've seen with um well, I guess you know there's a, there's a whole bunch of uh, you know sectors where we've seen levels of disruption uh, happen. Now, uh, you know, I guess looking for you know, and we know the the you know existing uh, sectors, and we're, we're aware of things uh, like uh, Airbnb, which I've been having a bit of a closer look at recently, and having a look at it from you know both sides of the picture, not just as a uh, as a customer, um, more out of curiosity than uh, than than anything. Um, obviously, Uber. Um, I got part way with trying to look at the other side of that, but um, I, yeah, didn't, didn't, I, I got halfway to sort of signing up to uh, to, to be an Uber Eats uh, delivery because I kind of wanted to see what the process looks like, but I wow. can't bring myself to do the to do the final step so that I'm actually registered. But I'm I'm so curious about the um, the way uh, you know these these entities sort of create things on the non-customer side and mm. uh, and how hard they work. So I got pummeled with their emails saying, you know, please submit this last bit of information. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got the, uh, the, the distribution of content, uh, you know, video and, and TV where, you know, Sky and New Zealand are, are you know, been under, you know, heavy threat for, for, a, for a long time. And, uh, you know, that's getting, you know, closer and closer to, um, uh, you know, really disrupting them. So, there's lot, lots of these things, um, you know, going on. What are the areas that um, that you've particularly been, uh, you know, finding finding interesting, or where, where you see that as um, yeah, as as a country that we should be focusing into? Well, one we haven't talked about so far uh, much is sustainability. I think that's a really interesting developing area. Um, so New Zealand uh, is thinking about a zero carbon bill you know a, a model where we reduce our net carbon emissions to zero that's a huge um, gulf to breach we have currently about 70 million tons net emissions per annum mm. and uh, our current uh, trading scheme um, doesn't cover the agriculture sector which is about half of new zealand's total emissions and if you put that in the context of the paris agreements which kick in in 2030 it might seem like a long way away but actually that's a huge potential cost to the economy which is coming and the, the, the scale of that cost is estimated to, to be between 14 and $36 billion. Mm. So it's a big hit that's coming, and it won't mm. be a hit that's borne by um, the government. It'll be something that will be um, borne by big businesses and small businesses, which will pass that on to consumers. So the more we can do um, 
to sort of prepare for a carbon-priced environment where we are pricing in that externality of our pollution, the better. And that will take us towards some um, new pricing decisions. It'll take us towards new technology innovations. Um, it'll take us towards more renewables, more solar and so on, and more distributed um, use of energy and generation of energy. Um, and I think it's a really fascinating uh, sort of challenge, um, but one that which we, we uh, really have to um, live up to. You know, we're, we're very exposed to climate change here and we might as well be part of the solution because we are a damn sure part of the problem and we um, can't sort of, you know, so, say, well, we're, we only represent whatever it is, you know, this, yeah, 0.1% of the, the globe's emissions, so therefore we, we can wait. We can't wait any longer. And in fact, um, the storm disruptions and the, um, you know, unseasonally hot summer we've just had and so on, they just give you more and more indications that we may as well get on with this. Um, a zero carbon framework would be very challenging to implement, but it'll take a long time to implement. And uh, you know, I see that as being another threshold where, at a technology level, at an innovation level, we you know we, we should be being part of the solution. And um, a lot of companies, a lot of innovators are, are doing just that. So that's really exciting space, and something that I'm you know I'm learning about all the time and keen to participate in. Mm. So anything that you've seen you know in particular in that area that uh, has stood out to you? Well, one thing um, I'm looking at a little bit at the moment is um, recycling and plastics. Um, there's a lot of uh, – we have reasonably um, open um, pricing and uh, or low pricing and open availability of landfill here in New Zealand, and that's probably driven us to be a bit lax about some of our recycling. I think as you get towards more of a um, circular economy type approach where we start to understand what comes in the door – also goes out the door as waste and we start to think about how that waste could be repurposed or reused and you know so waste is waste can be fuel waste can be um, turned into other products Um, that kind of circular economy type approach is really really interesting and important so um, next month i'll do my little ad here if i can i'm hosting a tech week um, session on sustainability for the tech sector and um, we're looking at um, some support from the Sustainability Business Network, which is running a, a circular economy accelerator at the moment to try and get more businesses thinking about a circular economy approach, which could be product stewardship, could be e-waste, could be a number of different things, could be recycling. Um, and we're looking to involve some of the telcos in that because telcos are both big emitters of um, carbon. They're big enablers of emissions. They also are doing some quite cool things to reduce their emissions footprints. And um, they have opportunities to go even further. And, of course, as consumers, you know, we're, we're all quite popular. Uh, we're, we're enthusiastic users of the, um, the tech sector's products. So we need to think as consumers as well about um, product stewardship. Do I know if my device is recyclable? Do I know if it has a take-back scheme from its manufacturer? or its distributor and am I prepared to factor those things into my decision making next time I'm looking at an upgrade will I think well will I just wait a little bit longer to purchase my next product or perhaps if I really want the product today I'll buy it but I'll do so in a more knowing way where I'll factor in the fact that there's a take-back scheme or a recycling scheme that will give me more comfort that it's um, not just getting chucked into landfill. Mm, yeah that's a good point I think there's there's probably a, a lot more that can be done in those regards and these are you know, discussions that um, it probably should become more and more prevalent, right? It's not the, the usual sort of part of a discussion around a product, uh, you know, especially, I, you know, I guess, you know, thinking of, of phones that are quite small devices um, and, you know, I guess it makes some sense to think of the bigger things first, right, and, uh, you know, address those things like... Um, 
plastic bags and you know mm. things that in, end up uh, in our waterways. Mm. Um, but there's a lot more to the picture than that. And um, you know, when you when you look at technology, and I think less so today than where we were a few years ago, but there can be um, you know some pretty harmful elements in, inside uh, the technology. Uh, that we buy in terms of its environmental uh, impact, and so yeah, certainly having having uh, some thought to that and uh, and seeing that improving's got to uh, have a, have a good flow on effect longer term. Yeah, well, as usual, um, you know, technology is not neutral; it can be part of the the solution to a problem, or it can make the problem worse. And if you just sort of drift along and you assume that that those things will sort themselves out you may find it turns up on the negative side of the ledger so i prefer to take the other approach where we say well let's be part of the solution and plan for how that could happen and there are some really cool things that um uh, the tech can do to improve our our sustainability as a as a country Mm. um you know whether it's renewable energy or iot there's there's literally dozens of them where we can really help Mm. um and those initiatives themselves will have their own costs but um you know it's up to us to sort of build those business cases to make it happen because i see a a lower carbon environment as being obvious and necessary and uh yet a lot of businesses and a lot of innovators haven't really factored that into their thinking fully Mm. so again you know let's just get with the program it's going to happen anyway so you may as well join in and Mm -hmm. make it happen and benefit from the success of doing so yeah yeah now um just before we you know finish up have you got any any views on um or you know any any thoughts on how we do uh you know balance thing balance things up around um you know educating our young people and um you know, getting them access to technology so we do have uh, that more level playing field. Is that uh, something you've given any thought thought to how we uh, how we improve that? It seems in New Zealand we've got a, you know a bunch of different uh, initiatives going on on you know from a educational uh, standpoint. Um, there's you know, there's a I guess a bunch of people that are thinking about these these things. Mm. Um, Anything that you've you've seen recently, or anything you wanted to comment on? Well, I mean, I think the uh, closing the digital divide is the government's policy, and that's one of the aspects mm-hmm. that they've asked the advisory group to help them with. So, I don't think we should jump too much to solutions mode just yet. But um, just to pick one example, I had a chat last week with the community organizer. Um, for OMG Tech, in uh, who's working in Huntley and Narawahia, and a really cool young guy who's really, really motivated and has done, from what I can tell, a really, really good job of bringing a Maori worldview to um, this question. Um, obviously, that particular community is is uh, very um, strongly Maori, and um, you know, in terms of place, whether you can work with Marae sites as the place where connectivity happens, um, whether you're looking at the um, individual um, technologies that you, you, you're uh, working with, so whether they um, are taking a, a Maori-friendly approach. Um, and uh, then, of course, we're looking at it more economically. Um, Maori are typically under-involved in the tech sector, um, and they're more likely to be unconnected or, or poorly connected to to the technologies that we've been talking about. So there's a very um, clear nexus in my mind if, that if you could... Um, enable more um, engagement with Maori and also Pacifica um, in the tech sector that would help them get more skills, that would help get them more jobs, which are jobs that you know 
people are creating all the time, they're typically quite good paying jobs as well. Mm. Um, and that would tend to, you know, help to lift up that household income and that drives more connectivity because there is that linear relationship. So you start to get a bit of a circular um, uh, benefit there. Mm. And, um, you know, I think uh, looking at some of those things geographically specifically is quite important because it is easy to assume because the infrastructure is being deployed that um, – that we've sort of sorted things out, but in fact we haven't. We've sorted out the infrastructure aspect, but we haven't necessarily addressed the affordability of some of the, um, whether it's the device or the broadband plan. We haven't addressed the uh, skills picture of making sure that people um, know how to use tech effectively, seniors as well as young people. And then I think possibly the most important one, which has shown up in the World Internet Project um, surveys, is that there's a portion of people who say that they're not interested in the internet. Yeah, They just say... I don't do that stuff because it doesn't interest me. And I think if we could find a way to understand why that is and maybe address that, that might be um, really helpful because, you know, we're basically building future pathways for the community and for the country. But if we leave some people off the road, then um, they're going down a different track and their track's turning into a um, a dirt path quite quickly. So we we need to make sure that they're involved. And, you know, that might be just helping people with um, simple things like, uh, like Skype. You know, just helping people to know that this is a way you could video conference to your grandkids. It might be interacting with the government through, um, uh, you know, benefits forms and the like, or it might be something that's more at the level of access and the device. And I don't know how to do this because no one's shown me. Once someone shows mm. me, I might mm. be more interested. But yeah, yeah, I think it's a big challenge. Yeah, and I think sometimes we've got to um, work out how to how to make um, you know what's happening in the technology sphere relevant to. Uh, to people where we, we haven't haven't done that uh, you know very well in the past, um, and look, we've got some some really great you know innovators in the Maori community, the Pacific Island community uh, as well, whose stories maybe we haven't haven't told uh, very well uh, mm. as part of that. Yeah. Well, there's there's probably a, a load more that we could uh, talk about, Ron. But um, look, it's been really fun to have you uh, here in the studio and to. Uh, um, you know, chat chat through these things. Was there anything um, that you wanted to share as we uh, as we finish up, or or let people know how they can get uh, get hold of you? Uh, we'll keep an eye out for that Tech Week event I mentioned on sustainability. Uh, it'll be going live shortly on the Tech Week website, but it's on Thursday the twenty fourth of May, and it'll be held up the, up at the Chorus Lab here in Auckland, and hoping for some good participation. So that would be great. Yeah. That, that's great. And where do people track you down? Are you uh, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Romac, R-O-H-M-A-C. Excellent. Oh, that's good. Well, thank you for coming in. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening in to, uh, to the New Zealand Tech Podcast this week. We'll be back with a, a normal sort of weekly and, and a bit more uh, you know, newsy-type uh, show uh, next week. But I hope you've really in, enjoyed the, uh, the discussion today. If you want to get, uh, get in touch with uh, me, uh, then you can do that through uh, my website, uh, paulspain.com. Um, and if you're uh, if you're interested in uh, Gorilla's help and helping your uh, your business uh, succeed through the use of technology, then uh, feel free to visit GorillaTechnology.com. All right, catch you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.